Are you ready to receive God's word? Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. In our passage, we will consider how the union with Christ produces new life in God. All of the other religions of the world require people to begin practicing of a life of discipline and then after practicing for a while, they supposedly become members of that religion. However, the Bible teaches us that new life first begin with God and the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that comes through faith. According to the scriptures, new life begins with God. According to John 3.3, Jesus himself states, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. After believers come to a knowledge of God, their union with Christ produces in them fruits of faith. So it's not a kind of religion where we go off like long rangers doing our own thing. But when we come to know Christ, we become dependent people of God, not working within our own natural abilities, but working within a spiritual realm, dependence upon God. And so Paul urges the Colossian church to implement principles that they might live by. And we're going to see that in a minute here. So look with me as I read for us in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to understand your word, that we might apply it by the power of your spirit, that we might truly be your ambassadors walking worthy of the call of the Most High God, so that you might receive the honor and the glory. The grass green withers, the flower fades, 
The word of our God shall stand forever. We ask all of these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I have entitled today's sermon, Walk Worthy of the Lord. You could even add, since our citizenship is in heaven, since we are the chosen of God, we are required not to live our lives the way we used to live it. To say it another way, we can even ask the question, how do we seek the things above? And so let's look at our text for this afternoon. I have three points. Uh, Don't worry about it. If you don't get it, I'll kind of mention them along the way. Point number one, a risen life in God demands a resurrected life approved by heaven. Point number two, a risen life in God demands a secure life without condemnation. And point number three, a risen life in God demands substitutional life that is yet to be manifested. The last time we were in Colossians during our study, Paul warned us not to be taken captive by the vain and destructive philosophies that feeds the indulgence of the flesh. He reminded us that as Christians, we're not supposed to take our stance from a worldly, man-centered agenda. And in contrast, he reminded us that all of our needs can be found in Christ. For in him is the highest wisdom. And in our text, we come to the place where Paul moved from his negative warnings in regards to the doctrine in chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, to his positive exhortations in chapter 3. Paul encouraged these Colossian Christians to focus more on living for Christ because they are risen with Christ. Do you think of yourself in that way as a risen one? Do you identify with Christ as being risen with him? We are risen with Christ. Are you living a crystal-centered life in every respect? Or are we living a life where we can say, God, you can come over there, but I got this over here. Are we including God in everything we do? It's the question we're challenged here today. Do you strive for this to be your reality? That's the challenge. This is the theme we're considering for all of chapter 3. Soon we're going to be talking about the putting off and the putting on. Point number one, 
a risen life in God demands a resurrected life approved by God, approved by heaven. To those Christians in Colossae, Paul challenges them to live for Christ in such a way that Christ is Lord over all and at the center of their new way of living. Paul is helping them to understand how identity and union with Christ changes the mindset. It changes the affections and the motivations of the believer. In other words, we can't do things the same way. He emphasizes this by tying the believer's new way of life with the death and resurrection of Christ. We see this at the beginning of verse 1 when he states, if then, you can also say since then. So if then you have been raised with Christ, Paul begins by explaining that Christians who are truly in union with Christ ought to be conducting themselves in a way that represents risen life in God. Risen life. Christians who die to the ways and wisdom of the world live for Christ because they've been born again through the death of Christ. To be risen or raised with Christ means that the believer has died. In other, world, in other words, we're not including the things of the world in this new way of living. We're living for Christ because we've been raised. We have now passed from death to life. We are saved through the finished works of Christ and our union with him is the basis for the way we live by faith and obedience to God through the working of the Holy Spirit within us. We identify with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have conformed to the Lordship of Christ. And so since we are in Christ, we must conform ourselves To his image. That means it is our duty to be completely united. To be fully united with God. Being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul urges us as he did with the brethren that our lives ought to reflect who we say we believe in. There ought not be any contradictions. Us saying one thing and then doing another. We are, in other words, if we're going to claim the name of Christ, We need to be ambassadors. We need to be disciples. 
We need to follow after the Lord. And that's what he teaches us, that if we are his disciples, what we must do is deny ourselves. Sounds like dying, doesn't it? We're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We're called to that. And so... That means that there are some things we need to give up. That, that means that there are some things we need to stop doing. That means that we have to be mindful of the enemy who wants the, to break our fellowship amongst the brethren Because the enemy cannot stand us enjoying one another's fellowship. The enemy cannot stand us faithfully trusting and hoping in the most high God. However, this isn't something done out of natural skill or abilities. Walking worthy of the Lord requires dependence upon him. Remember what it says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if that's true, then what else should you and I be doing? If God is at work in us, what other works should we be doing? It's not enough to just come on Sundays for a worship service. That's that's a great beginning. But that's just an hour and a half. And the truth be told, God wants it all. He wants everything. It's not up for question. He says he wants it all. And that's the practice. That's what we've been called to. This is the challenge. So the question is, what are we doing? The things that matters to you, the things that matters to me are the very things we invest in the most. The things that we love, oh, you better believe we're going to spend some time with those things because those are the things that matters to us. And the things that matters to us, we give it our time without question. And so we're challenged here. We know it because we can see it. If we look at the checkbook, we can see what matters the most to us. Because guess what? We're going to spin there. Right? And so God is challenging us whether or not we are spending the resources we have for the glory of God. Where are you offering your resources? Where are you spending your money? Now, to be clear, we're not talking about investments. That's different, right? God expects us to invest in good things. Matter of fact, we're going to be held accountable 
for how we spend what God has given to us, right? God expects us to be good stewards. But if we're spending and it's not for the glory of God, that's where we've fallen. And so we're not talking about that. We know that that's a godly principle. Generally speaking today, we're looking at ourselves in this sense. We're looking as if we have a spiritual portfolio checkup. We're sitting down with our advisor. And we're looking at the areas where they're found to be weaknesses. And those are the areas we want to call our attention to. So question, how do you fare? Where are you in your walk? Is your walk worthy of the Lord in every area? In the next few verses, Paul is going to help us with that. If we want to grow in our faith, we must remain humble and seek God's help. That's the beginning. If we act like we don't need help, we're not going to get help, but ultimately we're going to continue to fail because pride won't allow us to go forward. And so let us humble ourselves as we hear from the word of God. Because God wants to help us. So if we want to grow in our faith, let us remain humble. So what we can learn at is our text, Brother Charlie, have read for us. What we can learn, though, those are the kinds of things we can, we can pray for. So we can be like the psalmist in the way that he has presented his prayers, right? And so... There, it says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I might keep your law and observe it it with my whole heart. That's the same principle we were talking about earlier, that God wants it all. He wants it all. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Lead me, he says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Life in God is everlasting And it enables every believer to have ongoing fellowship with God. Listen to the words of Paul in Galatians 2, verse 20. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who has been called to give his life, to die for the Lord, to suffer. This is what Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he's recognizing his identity with God. It is, not, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's as if Paul said, I'm all in. Paul teaches that. We are no longer to live for ourselves, but for Christ 
and he lives in us, and it's through faith that we are now living. How we fellowship with the Son of God. We must constantly depend upon him and trust his words. In other words, as the risen ones, we must die in order to walk worthy of the Lord. Listen, we hear this concept taught by the Lord himself in John 12, 24, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So you and I will not have fruit until we die. Everything in our life must die so that we can be risen and God producing fruit in us as we live the Christian life. So though we are risen with Christ, we must die to have union with Christ. This is not for everybody. This life, the risen life, begins with God. First, having belief on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. So what does this mean? It means that though we are risen with Christ, we must die to have union with Christ. That means we must die to politics. We must Die to sports. We must die to beauty. We must die to the approval of men. We must die to fear of men. We must die to becoming rich. We must die to comfort. We must die to career success. We must die to everything that is earthly and instead desire and unyielding affection for the Lord. I'm not saying that these don't have their places and purposes. I'm only saying that they cannot be in the place of God. Do people know us by the things we say that are earthly? Or do we always talk about the Lord? What do people know us by? Would be a great thing for somebody to say about me. You always talking about the Lord. And I would say, good. <laughs> That's what we want. We want to be identified with God with, with no misunderstanding. We want it to be clear of who we are in Christ. And so... That's the challenge for us. We're to need, we need to make some adjustments in our lives. Only you know whether it is. And so, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Making adjustments in my life where God do not have the ultimate glory in it. So, I'm, I'm right there as a weak man in need of God. For everything. And so, let's do it together. Let's do it together. 
Let's walk worthy of the Lord because our citizenship is in heaven. Next, Paul teaches us ways or principles by which we can have success. He states, seek the things that are above. That's how it's done. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. May I ask you another question? What are you seeking? What's your expectations in this life? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your goals? And the most important question is, can can these goals and these desires, would they be approved in heaven? Would God accept them? As being a part of his will, being a part of his purpose for your life? That's the question we're challenged with. The Colossian church must learn to seek in order that they might find. The main goal of seeking is so that one might find. We're not just running around here aimlessly seeking for something we will never receive or accomplish. Right? Seeking is only the process to finding the many blessings that God has for every believer. Seek and you shall find. Oftentimes people want to skip processes. They want all of the blessings, but don't want to put no work, no effort into Honoring the Lord with the processes that he has put in front of us that we might live. We, we know this by our parents, right? Our parents sometimes as children when we were coming up and we want things, we want things to be done a certain way. And what our parents say, I've told you the answer. I've given you the information. Now, what will you do with it? And I think sometimes with God, he steps back and allow us, as our parents do in their wisdom, to bump our heads. And sometimes we fall hard. And then we understand. And then we surrender and say, Lord, I'm yours. You see? And so we're not to take the trials and tribulations of this life as if it's not useful. God works all things together for the good for those who love God, called according to his purpose. So if we're in this life that we are living in, God has called us to it. We're to accept and embrace everything if we understand that it's working out together. Because ultimately God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's providentially ruling and controlling all things. And when we understand that, we can have hope. And so, let us not skip the processes. Because in the process, the people who fail to seek God, his plans, his purposes, his will, his command, his word, will eventually lead to eternal loss. The unfortunate thing, the world one day will come to the conclusion that they really messed up. And there's no turning back. 
It's really messed up this time that they have laughed at and mocked the gospel as it was going forward. And now they're standing before the king. And he's saying, guilty, 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 guilty. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I don't know you. We don't have relationship. One day, everyone would have to stand for every idle word and every deed that was committed against God. So this is the everyday practice of non-believers. Everyday non-believers are practicing evil. You see how grateful we are to be to be a risen one? And so as a risen one, our affections cannot be set on the things of the earth. We must be heavenly minded. We must make sure our lives are supported by the heavenlies. Right? We feel good when we're going in the right direction. It's as if we're going on a trip and we say, and the children say, Daddy, we're almost there. You know when they go to Disney World, right? They're looking forward because Dad told them that they're going on a trip. They're looking forward to the trip. They've seen the advertisement. They've seen what people do on the trip. As Christians, we have to remember we're pilgrims on a trip. Are you living that way? Are you looking forward to being with God Forever, no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more idleness, but joy. Joy. And so, we must make sure our lives is moving in that direction. In other words, a a resurrected life needs resurrected power. Our home is not on earth, but in heaven where Christ is. And so we're not talking about the material things we possess, such as houses and cars, 401k, retirement, investment. These will never satisfy the risen soul. We need life that is supported by God. We need spiritual life, material stuff that we own will not help us. Instead, it will choke out our spiritual vitality. When we are misdirected and we're not focusing upon Christ, but we are looking uh, any other way apart from Christ, we're being misdirected and misguided. And so seeking God is the same thing as centering ourselves and our lives upon Christ. That means that Christians ought to change their pursuit from that which is not Christocentric to everything in relation to Christ. So our union with Christ sets us on a path to live in a new life in God. In other words, Christians must learn how to live in a fallen world corrupted by sin and fallen humanity. There's a way to live. 
Jesus mentioned this in his high priestly prayer as he spoke to the Father expressing his desires. And in John 17, beginning at verse 17, the Lord says to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate them, watch it, myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. God is at work in our lives. He's sanctifying us. So when we come to know Christ, our trajectory changes from pursuing the things of the world to pursuing the things of God. We are sanctified by God and we are being sanctified. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We come to the word of God and that word becomes precious to us because we understand that God is changing us. He's sanctifying us. He's regulating our minds that it might be stayed on him. And so that's why Paul could say and have this idea, this concept in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see the connecting lines there? It's an upward call and it's the call of God. How? In Christ Jesus. Only through faith. The path of God that leads to a mature faith consists of knowing and living out of the reality that the believer has died and is now raised with Christ. That's why Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. No one can seek the things that are above until they first have been raised with Christ. It's impossible. Impossible. In other words, if we have not died to self, we cannot and will not know God. There's no back door. You're just going to slip in to the kingdom of God. Christ says, I am the way. I am the life. There's no way to the Father except me. And then he stood on the side and said, I am the door. Right? Christ keeps saying over and over that there's no other way. I'm your access. And so we must remember that as we live for Christ, remembering the access that we have through him. And so when believers come to know Christ, they give up everything through death by dying to self and the world in order to have life by taking up their new identity in Christ, consisting of the new heavenly dimensions. So how should believers live this out? 
to make seeking the things above a reality in their own lives. Should Christians seek out the things above until they're fed up? Should they seek the things above until their things doesn't go their way? No, it's sacrificial. Christ reminded us of, of a cross that we must carry. At what point as a church do we stop seeking the things of above? We don't ever stop. Because the minute we stop seeking the things of above, we're no longer a church, but we're an organization. We're a business. We're a corporation. The things that makes us different is because of what we do in that we look to Christ as the author and the finisher of our faith. Let God be God and every else a lie. And so we don't ever stop. One commentator explains it in this way. Believers seek the things above by deliberately and daily committing ourselves to the values of the heavenly kingdom and living out of those values, unquote. In other words, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The next verse states, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Let's think about that for a moment. What are some ways we can fail at being a Christian? What are some things that we can do to cause us to fail in being a Christian? Number one is forsaking God. We forsake God when we don't prefer God over our own works our own abilities and skill sets. Another one could be stubbornness, preferring our wisdom over and above God's wisdom. Then you have worldliness, disobedience, pride, self-sufficiency, and unbelief, to name a few others. These are the kinds of things that will guarantee failure in the Christian life. Therefore, we must examine ourselves. We should watch the company we keep. We must examine our thoughts and our habits. We are, we are to regularly check ourselves to see if we are misrepresenting God in any way. Think about the things you post on social media. Does it always honor the Lord? Is it always God-glorifying? Think about the kind of conversation you have with only a certain group of people. Is it Christ-honoring in those kinds of, of conversations? It's good for us to examine ourselves. We must keep ourselves and even our motives in check for it's dangerous. If we do not. Listen to what it says in Romans 8 verse 6. The text says, For to set the mind of the flesh, to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit, here's the beauty of it all, is life, help me, and peace. 
So we must check ourselves in such a way to see if we're acting for our own gain or for the glory of God. Let a person examine himself before God as the scripture teaches us. At verse 17 of this same chapter in Colossians, listen to what it says. Same writer, Paul is emphasizing the same idea. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next point number two, a risen life in God demands a secure life without condemnation. These next couple of points will go a lot faster. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. People may try and attempt to take our lives, but no one can truly take our lives. As the text says, because... We have died, and our lives hidden with Christ and God. That's a double blessing. In other words, we are doubly secured. We are the hidden ones in Christ, with Christ in God. This shows us how much God values each and every one of us. Listen to Matthew 13, 44 that kind of explains it. There the text says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's obvious that this fortunate finder placed great value on the field so much that he covered it up. It was hidden. Since we are hidden with Christ, how much more are we valuable to God? We are of great value because we are hidden. We might even see ourselves as invaluable or maybe even worthless in our own estimation. However, in God's sight, by his estimation, we are worth it because we have value in God. The Christian life is a hidden life. What do I mean? First of all, our lives are secure in Christ because we are hidden in Christ for salvation. Second, all of our lives, though they are hidden, is justified by God. We are the justified by faith. Third of all, the hidden life is a joyous life. It's not a happy life. Happy life is dependent upon happiness. If you're happy and not sad, then you'll have a happy life. Joy, on the other hand, it doesn't matter what's going on in life because joy ultimately is from the one who is always good. 
Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, where there is no variation, no shadows, no ah, is all good. That's, that's what we have in Christ. And so that's the difference between divine joy and earthly happiness. And so we're, we are hidden. We are the hidden ones for our faithful God has worked in us. And because of that, even in the midst of trial and difficulty, we can sing for joy. And people will ask you, how do you do that? You've just lost, and you can fill in the blank. How can you still be happy knowing that you have lost? The world doesn't understand that. So not only is our lives hidden with Christ and God, but we are blessed the more from the benefits of being hidden with Christ. Because we are hidden with Christ, This is sweet. There's no condemnation. Listen to verse 3 again. For you have died. That means the law has no authority over a dead man. There's no reason for us to to carry out the law, those who are dead. And that's the picture that the scripture wants us to see is that no one has authority over you. You are mine and you've been bought with the price. The Lord has bought us with his own blood. That's the confidence we have. And so, there's no authority by the law. Why? Christ is the fulfillment of it. He is the end of the law to all of those who have faith in them. In that Romans 10 and 4, Says it better, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, everyone who believes. So we are dead to the law. That means no condemnation according to the law. And if there's no condemnation by the law, there's no condemnation by God. We are justified by God, and he will not condemn us. What a blessed privilege, family. You're walking into a courtroom knowing that you are guilty. And you know the judge. You know the prosecutor. And they both agree. And they say, not guilty. How much joy would you have knowing that you owe the court? You owe society a debt you cannot pay. How much more do you owe God for every sin from conception until you die? And him to say, forgiven, no condemnation, not guilty. If that's not enough, Romans 8, 1 and 33 says this. There is now no condemnation for those qualifier who are in Christ Jesus. 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We need to walk like we're in heaven. We need to walk like we're in heaven. 
We are not to live defeated lives as if God can't help us. We need to tell the world about the hope we have. That's the kind of confidence we're to be living in, not to be living as a worthless people or hopeless people. We have value. We have hope. Live in it. Live in it. Last point, point number three. A risen life in God demands substitutional life that is yet to be manifested. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If Christ is our life, and he is, then we know that his death and resurrection also was a substitute. Therefore, giving us resurrection and life with him. We are hidden with Christ, and he died. We died with him. He resurrected. We're going to be resurrected with him. We are in Christ. We are with Christ. We're in union with him. So therefore, we're going to have resurrection and life. Isn't that what Jesus told Martha? I and Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 John 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. We don't have to argue with people. We know the book. We are people of the book. We have our confidence. They don't know. We have understanding. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And then in, in John 14.19, Jesus himself says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Why? Because I live. You also, you also will live. See that? So because of God's grace, we are hidden in Christ through faith. We are that special treasure. We were in the world and God found us and made us his special people, his called out ones. We are the risen and hidden ones with Christ in God. My brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any better and any safer than that. But this would mean nothing if there is no application of us living it out. Hear the words of the Lord in John 10, 28. There he states, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, listen to me now, no one, like they say down south, ain't anybody. No one will snatch them out of his hand. So 
If you don't know God through faith in Christ, you're not safe. You're not safe. This is what believers have. Without Christ as your substitution, you have no hope. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be hidden from the wrath of God to come. And so, it's not safe nor is it beneficial for our souls. We need Christ. Without Christ, the law still stands against you and the condemnation of God waits for you and will meet you at death's door. And so, friend, don't take that chance. Don't take that chance. Place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Believe that he is risen from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Believe, be saved, and become the hidden and, the, the hidden and risen of God. Because Hebrews 11 and 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whatever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And I'm going to close with this. Sidney McLaurin won gold and is now the world record holder in the 400-meter hurdles. This is what she posted on her, on her Instagram account. The face of a woman who is in the awe of God. I could feel this meet was going to be something special, but man. Weeks like these are some of the hardest in a track athlete's life. The mental strain of preparing for the rounds in order to solidify your spot is heavy enough. But the amount of weight the Lord took off my shoulders is the reason I could run so freely yesterday. My faith was being tested all week from bad practices to three false start delays to a meat delay. I just kept hearing God say, just focus on me. It was the best race plan I could have ever assembled. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his purpose will already set in stone. I don't deserve anything but by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. Sid realized that she needed to focus her mind on God the Father, who is greater than all of the disappointments she could have in her life in that moment. She recognized the difficulties that were trying to take up space in her life to hinder her from accomplishing the things she had prepared for. So, what's hindering you from accomplishing what God called you to do? Are you giving into the difficulties of life? You fell, falling into churches, hopelessness? What goals have you set to bring before the Lord in prayer? What, what mission are you on?
What are you saying you would do for the Lord? The world quits, but the enduring Christian will see it through into the finish. Not because they are strong, rather because they are dependent upon God who will carry it out. So we see this in Paul, Philippians 1 and 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Christ is our life. Christ is our source. Christ is our confidence. Christ is our sustenance. Christ is our object. Christ is our example. Christ is our security. And Christ is our crown. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Apply it in the hearts and minds of your people. For your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen.